This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, I'm Dan Permack, and welcome to Axios Recap, where we dig into one big story. Today's Monday, May 10th. Used car sales are up, the price of Dogecoin is down, and we're focused on how hackers just shut a U.S. pipeline. Colonial Pipeline probably isn't a name you've heard a lot, but if you live on the East Coast and drive a car or get driven in a car, Colonial Pipeline has almost certainly been involved in your ride because it provides around 45% of the gas used between Florida and Maine, transporting over 100 million gallons per day. Right now, though, almost all of Colonial Pipeline is shut after a weekend ransomware attack that caused it to close down its network. The FBI has said the culprit is a professional cyber criminal group called Darkside, which is believed to be based in Russia. Overall, this is a nightmare scenario, and one that cybersecurity professionals have been warning about for years. U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo said that all hands are on deck to prevent too much of a supply disruption of fuel, while the Transportation Department issued an emergency declaration in 17 states to enable increased trucking hours so that fuel can be delivered via road instead of via pipeline. Darkside, for its part, put out a press release, which apparently cybercriminal groups do now, claiming to be apolitical, inspired by money, not by ideology. But obviously, this episode carries with it big new risks in the already tense U.S.-Russia relationship. So in 15 seconds, we want to dig deeper with veteran energy analyst Amy Myers Jaffe, who calls the Colonial Pipeline, quote, as close as you can get to the jugular of infrastructure in the United States. We'll ask her how it happened what the episode teaches us about other vulnerabilities, and what can be done to stop future attacks, if anything. That conversation in 15 seconds. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We're joined now by Amy Myers Jaffe, a research professor at the Fletcher School at Tufts. So Amy, big picture here, how does a ransomware attack functionally cause a pipeline to shut down? Well, I think they shut down with an, on an ounce of caution. So they were attacked in their business operations, so not in the operations of the pipeline and the sort of hard asset software that operates the actual pipeline. But, you know, because there have been incidents in the past in other places where a hack has jumped from somebody's computer in the office where they're just sending email to an operational software, they had to be cautious. And so they shut the pipeline down. We've seen kind of these ransomware attacks, high-profile ones on municipalities. We've seen them a little bit on hospitals. Is this new to the energy sector? Well, a hack is not new to the energy sector. There was a major hack into the safety system, frighteningly, of a petrochemical plant in Saudi Arabia 
back in 2018 uh, involved U.S. software systems. So not a great event for, for the American industry because maybe that software system was used elsewhere in the United States. So it's not the first time, but this is the largest impact in the U.S. energy industry and, you know, very public. You know, sometimes it's sort of a quiet event and they hire a consultant and, and then it gets patched. But this is a major event because you're having a, a giant piece of infrastructure. This is like the gasoline jugular of the United States and it's having to be shut down because of a ransomware attack. If you're Colonial or Shell, which owns Colonial, what really are your options once they find out there is this ransomware attack? I mean, is it basically either pay or don't pay? Is it, does it come just down to that? I'm an energy expert. So whether you pay or don't pay is sort of out, outside my bailiwick. But, you know, you do have to go in and check all these systems. And it's not like when you or I get hacked at our house. I mean, we we're talking about the safe operation of a major piece of infrastructure. And so you have to be really sure that everything's secured, that there's no open window to your operation system. All these things have to be checked before you can continue to operate. And you have to know, I mean, it's not good enough to, you know, pay somebody ransom and say, okay, guess what? I promise I won't hack you. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, you need to close down uh, all windows into your security system. You need to make sure that that everything, uh, all the credentialing and authentication and all your, your platforms across your whole system are safe and secure. You talked about how the Colonial Pipeline is this jugular of kind of U.S. energy infrastructure, particularly on the East Coast. Colonial has said they expect substantially all their operations to be back online by the end of the week. But, but if they are substantially shut down for four days, what are the actual tangible impacts of that? Hopefully it won't be much. I mean, if we're talking only a few days, you know, this time of year, the industry carries a lot of inventory because we're getting ready for the Memorial Day holiday. So you have extra gasoline inventories. I'm sure there's extra jet fuel inventories at various airports. We're moving out of the winter heating season. So probably not a worry there. So really, it's really more sort of an inconvenience in the sense that you might have the occasional player or local station or local distributor that didn't have enough inventory that might have a one or two day glitch. But hopefully we're all going to go smooth sailing. And let's not forget that we can truck gasoline from one location to another. We know how to do that. The Biden administration's already been on top of relaxing some rules about driver hours. And so, you know, it's not like this isn't 1973 where the supply is cut off. You know, we're just talking about a logistical difficulty that would ensue if we have to start moving things around by truck or by ship and not necessarily just have it smoothly come in its normal way by pipeline. You mentioned the Biden administration. Uh, Biden is also, of course, separate from this, trying to get this massive infrastructure package through. Does this attack tell us anything about what kind of redundancies the U.S. energy system doesn't have but needs? I think it tells me one thing is that that infrastructure package should have a giant allocation for improving cybersecurity across the United States. And that has to do with our electricity grids, our pipeline networks. We need to have more better technologies. We need to be top of 
mind, top of industry, top of everything when it comes to U.S. cyber capabilities, both in detection and prevention, but also just in our in our own capabilities. So I do think that cyber and digital go hand in hand. A lot of the technologies we're expecting to use someday, whether that's Alexa in your home, controlling your temperature control, or whether we're going to someday you're expecting to take a self-driving robo-taxi or Noro is going to deliver you a pizza or your groceries. All these networks have to be completely secure uh, for both, you know, human safety and for privacy and for all a host of other national security reasons. And therefore, the infrastructure bill must absolutely focus on this and make sure that the United States is number one in protecting all of its digital networks. From what you know about the infrastructure package so far, do you think there is enough focus on cybersecurity? Well, there is focus on cybersecurity, but my opinion is maybe no. Maybe it's not large enough. Maybe it's not a big enough focus. When we talk about climate change, you know, we have certain kind of focuses about resilience. Some of those correspond nicely with cybersecurity, but some of them don't. And also same thing when we're wanting to revitalize communities. Some of that work corresponds with national security and cyber and dual use, and some of it doesn't. So there really needs to be a, a, a relook at how we are going to marry these things together best and also make sure that in training and in jo- new jobs, you know, we need some young people to go into the government and help work on these difficult issues. Amy, when we hear about the potential for cyber attacks on the U.S. energy system, it's usually about the electrical grid. Are you surprised that the first big attack domestically here was on a fuel pipeline? I am a little surprised that it was on a fuel pipeline, though if you go back into the history of people writing about their concerns about cyber, there was a great concern that a lot of the sensors and systems uh, that are used throughout the oil and gas industry have not been updated. If attacks like this, if ransomware attacks like this continue, and our energy infrastructure is largely maintained by private companies, could this lead to serious financial troubles, even bankruptcies for some of these companies? Well, I don't know if it's so much of a bankruptcy. I, I I think really more to the point that if we don't get this problem under control and we don't get companies the assistance they need to upgrade uh, their systems, their control systems and, and their security systems, you know, we could actually see a energy outage. And that would be very unfortunate because it's unnecessary. If these companies need to upgrade their security who should be paying for that? Should be that be the private companies or should the U.S. government help pay for that? No, no. I mean, that should be the companies. I mean, it's on them. But I think what the United States government needs to do is have a higher capability to monitor and participate in the, you know, rebooting or the the reacting to these huge intrusions. And, you know, there there's a little bit of a problem here because you know, if you're a private company, you're a big private company, you have a private proprietary system, if you feel that the U.S. government is a sieve for data information and the U.S. government itself gets hacked, then you don't really want the U.S. government involved in your system. So, you know, the first step, honestly, is to make sure that the U.S. systems are secure. Amy Myers-Jaffe, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Facebook, which received a letter from 45 state attorneys general 
asking the social network to abandon its plans to launch Instagram for kids below the age of 13. Why? Well, the AGs have lots of reasons. Uh, among them is that Insta for Kids could better enable cyberbullying and adult predators targeting kids. Plus the worry that children might be more prone to the horrors of social media due to their immaturity, including around issues of privacy. If your Instagram experience has ever upset you, multiply that emotional distress. The AGs also referred to Facebook's, quote, checkered record in protecting the welfare of children on its platforms, end quote. Though I will say, as the parent of a 10-year-old, Facebook's Messenger for Kids program was fantastic, particularly early in the pandemic, and does require this kind of joint verification among my kids' parents and the friends' parents that she's trying to contact. Anyway, Facebook has not yet responded to the letter, although Mark Zuckerberg did recently confirm during a congressional hearing that the company is indeed in the early stages of working on an Instagram for Kids product. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Naomi Shaven, Sabina Sangani, Justin Kaufman, and Alex Sugiara. If you haven't yet left us a review, please do so and be sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast. Have a great national shrimp day, and we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios recap.